comments and views expressed on The Kevin Smith Show are those of the people that make them and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kevin Smith, The Kevin Smith Show, or its affiliates or sponsors. Hi, folks, and welcome to the Kevin Smith Show, whoever you are, wherever you happen to be all around this gorgeous planet. Thanks for being here at the Kevin Smith Show. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm here is because you have a right to know and because you matter. Um, in no way does that imply that uh, I am the fountain of all knowledge. However... We do cover some things here from time to time, in fact, uh, very frequently, that aren't being covered elsewhere. And so um, we think you have a right to know, and uh, I think you would agree. Um, tonight, we have as our guest Dr. Roger Lear, who is going to join us in just a moment. Uh, we have him online. We're ready to rock and roll. Let me say this to those of you who are watching. Uh, I've been watching the signal monitor, and it's going on and off. And uh, for those who are watching, it may be necessary for you to just go over and, and listen to this as a radio show tonight, which, of course, it really is. And uh, But uh, that's easy to do. If uh, this thing keeps blinking off and on like this, I have no idea whether you can see it or not. But uh, it appears to me that uh, there's some sort of uh, problem over at Justin TV, perhaps. Okay, um, we publish something called the K-Files. It's our free newsletter. And uh, it comes out bi-monthly or bi-weekly, every other week. And uh, this is the week. So if you haven't yet subscribed, be sure you do. Uh, you just scoot over to my website, click where it says K-Files, and subscribe. And uh, you'll begin to receive the K-Files. We, we, uh, right after the show on Friday night is when we begin sending that out for uh, this edition. And so um, make sure you subscribe. Now, also, make sure... Uh, as soon as you subscribe, you're going to get an automatic email at the address that you subscribe with. And that email has a link in it that you must click in order to activate that subscription. If you don't click that, your subscription won't get activated and you won't start receiving the K-Files. You must click that link. If you don't do that, then uh, you won't get it. Um, sometimes people say, well, I didn't get the email. Okay, uh, be sure you check your, your junk mail or your trash or whatever you call it, uh, because sometimes, or bulk mail, sometimes they call it that, because sometimes it'll, it'll go there. It depends on how you have your, um, system set up. And, uh, so be sure you check that, alright? And, uh, click that link. Alright, uh, we are, uh, just, uh, seconds away from a break. And when we get back from that break, we're going to be talking with Dr. Roger Lear. I think everybody knows Dr. Roger Lear. If you don't, you certainly are going to get, uh, to get a chance to meet him this evening. 
And uh, this is a man who has done tremendous, tremendous work in our genre of information. Uh, If you don't know the name, and I think most of you do, but if you don't, I know you've seen some stuff on TV about this guy that, uh, you know, they take these implants out of people that uh, may be extraterrestrial. Well, that's the guy. He's here tonight. We'll be back right after this break. All right, welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show. As I said, my guest this evening is Dr. Roger Lear. And uh, I give you a little bit of an intro about Dr. Lear. And um, I think, as I said, most of you are already very well aware of who he is. But we have new people that join our genre of information, you know, every day and may not yet be aware, so you need to go look up on the internet Alien Scapel. Uh, you need to look up Dr. Roger Lear, uh, L-E-I-R, and um, you, you, will, you will be amazed because there's tons of videos and uh, lots of photographs and uh, lots and lots of stuff written about his work. Dr. Lear uh, is probably best known as uh, the guy who takes these alien implants out of people. Well, some of them turn out not to be alien implants. Uh, but sometimes there's no way to know till you go in there and, and uh, excise the thing and then uh, analyze it. Uh, but uh, some of these are really, really very bizarre. He is also one of the key witnesses to a, um, a UFO incident um, that is probably one of the most bizarre and has some of the, mo- uh, the, the best video that has ever been shot of a UFO. And uh, that took place in Turkey. So we're going to talk about the whole realm of stuff and some stuff you haven't even heard him talk about before. Uh, He's not even aware we're going to talk about that stuff, but we are. Dr. Lear, are you with us? Well, I can see him on my monitor, but apparently he cannot hear me. Uh, So we'll uh, just give him a real quick little call here. And um, we'll see if we can't. Um... Okay, it may be uh, that he cannot hear. I he's he's I've got him on the telephone, so he says that uh, his audio on Skype is up and on, but uh, apparently he can't hear us on Skype. 
All right, so for right now, we'll just do it on the telephone. Um, so, uh, as I was saying, uh, Dr. Lear, we're going to be uh, talking about some things that uh, are all about, you know, the alien implants and also all about... I can barely hear you right now. Yeah, well, that's about how it's going to be on the phone, I'm afraid. We're getting a lot of uh, some kind of uh, frying sound in the line from between you and us. But anyway, uh, let's let's get an update. Uh, you had surgery today, right? Yeah, I had uh, <laughs> had surgery today and surgery yesterday. Okay. Um, Skype, but I don't know. I've turned the video on, so uh, yeah, we're we're barely getting some audio out of that. I think we're going to stick with the telephone. Um, okay. All right. Uh, you had surgery yesterday as well. Yeah, yeah. I had a little uh, basal cell cancer taken off of my face. I see. And then you had uh, eye surgery today, right? Yeah. Today I had a cataract done, so I'm. Uh, I'm seeing basically out of one eye. The other eye is pretty, pretty blurry still. Uh huh. Well, you're but pretty. I had one eye done uh, before uh, about a month ago, and uh, just marvelous. Well, I'll tell you what. You're a trooper for being willing to be with us tonight after all of that, and uh, I appreciate you doing it. Um, well, got to keep the mind busy, Kevin. Well, that's right. That's right. Uh, it's been how long since I saw you out in California? Let's see, when was that? That was at, that was at the premiere of Moon Rising that I saw you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's been a while. Yeah, it sure has. A lot of stuff, uh, has been happening since then. Well, let's get a little bit of an update. Uh, what, what's been going on? that uh, we perhaps have not heard about. Kind of give us a, bring us up to date on the world of Roger Lear. Well, the world of Roger Lear involving a UFO subject is uh, pretty broad and wild because uh, I don't know if I told you last, I uh, finished a book, which I swore I'd never do, so that's my eighth one. (laughs) <laughs> uh, published in, published in France. And and what is it about? Well, it's called uh, basically in uh, in, the, in the French language. It boils down to uh, UFOs: the final frontier. And uh, I go into the fourteenth, uh, fifteenth, and sixteenth surgical cases that I've did. And published uh, for the first time the full scientific data. So I get uh, requests once in a while from uh, people with a, a science background who want to look at the data. Mm-hmm. So I figure this is a good way they can look at it. And then on the other hand, see, there's always two sides to the coin. Uh, on the other hand, there are people who. Uh, can look at data and uh, having the slightest idea what they're looking at. Yeah, <laughs> that probably would be me. So, uh, but those those individuals uh, are the first to uh, you know critique your work 
in a negative fashion because they don't uh, basically, uh, pardon the language, know what the hell they're looking at. Uh-huh. So I, I put material in here, and I say it's strictly for the scientists. Then we, uh, we at the same time, published a, kind of a, a lay version of the interpretation of the material. So we, we did that with the surgeries and uh, showing all the uh, latest findings. And then part of the book is on uh, the latest in what's happened in uh, Argentina, Brazil. I don't know if we discussed that uh, previously or not. Well, we ha- you and I have discussed Virginia, uh, Brazil. But we uh, have not. I, I, you're, you're talking about what's the latest. I, I'm sure we have not discussed that. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Just to review a little bit of the event itself, 1996 January, uh, an extraterrestrial vehicle crash landed in a small town of uh, Virginia. That's V A R G I N H A. Uh, farming town of about 130,000 people um, in the state of Minas Gerais. And uh, there was more attention that was paid to uh, the survivors of the crash than there was uh, to the vehicle, uh, just a little bit uh, different than Roswell. Two girls, uh, or three, excuse me, three girls, young uh, teenagers on their way home from work, uh, saw uh, one of the beings uh, kneeling by uh, a stone wall, a brick wall rather, and uh, they were not uh, three abreast, but one behind each other. And when the first one saw them, uh, from what she described was... uh, an entity that was about uh, four, three to four feet tall, and it was kneeling. Uh, had brown skin that seemed to be uh, oily. Uh, a very large head with uh, three protuberances on top of the head, going from the uh, from the forehead to, to the rear portion of the head. Um, a very thin neck, uh, kind of musculature in the lower, more musculature in the lower extremity than the upper extremity, uh, with uh, red eyes. Well, seeing this thing and <clears throat> one of the you know big religions in uh, Brazil is Catholicism, so she thought she saw the devil. So she turned around and screamed and started running as uh, fast as she could. And then the girl behind her uh, then uh, witnessed the, the being and saw basically uh, the same thing. It took a few more moments and, and looked at it. <laughs> Not quite as fearful as the first one, but she also turned around and uh, followed suit. And then the third girl uh, stood there for a few minutes and it turned its uh, head around and looked at her. And it had big red eyes. And uh, then she was fairly well convinced that this was something uh, demonic because uh, in that area of Brazil, they're pretty much used to uh, seeing wild animals and things. And she knew it wasn't an animal. (coughs) Now, I did an interview with the three girls and the mother and grandmother, and uh, they realized that after a time this was not an animal but some some kind of a being they didn't know uh, what it was 
um, that uh, that same being was uh, seen later in the day by two military police officers uh, trying to cross the street and from the area where the first girls saw the being to where uh, the military police officers saw it was only about two blocks away and uh, it was standing on a corner trying to cross the street and they realized that it was injured so one uh, young man uh, who was uh, in great physical uh, condition, about 25 years of age, uh, in the military police, which is a separate separate unit. Uh, like, you know, we, we have the Navy and the Army and the Air Force and so on. Well, the military police uh, in Brazil is a separate uh, military unit, as is the fire department. Fire department is, is military in Brazil, and the reason I say that is uh, farther along in the story. You'll see why. But uh, the this uh, young man got out of a jeep-like affair and went over and uh, uh, saw that the entity was uh, injured, put his arm around him, and guided him without resistance uh, back to the vehicle and put him, uh, sat down and put him on his lap. Now, <laughs> you know, here was a human being coming in contact with God knows what, no protective gear, no gloves, no, no mask, uh, no, you know, no thought of uh, mm -hmm. bacteria or viruses or whatever. And so they took him to a first aid station where they could do nothing with him, and then he wound up uh, in a hospital uh, undergoing a surgery under a military guard. And I uh, interviewed the uh, the surgeon that uh, did the operation for the uh, fractured leg, and uh, he was forced to do this uh, by the military. It had a tremendous effect on his life. Uh, they were used to seeing military in the hospital because there was no uh, the nearest base, which was called Sergeant Camp was about 30 kilometers uh, from the main town of uh, Virginia. And so when there was accidents that occurred on the base, they would uh, take them to the hospital. So seeing military personnel there didn't really um, excite anybody too much. But then they started to take over the surgical area, the maternity ward, and got more uh, personnel there. And then they began to wonder. And then they called him and told him that he was required to do a surgery, didn't tell him what. Uh, he was uh, told to uh, scrub and gown, go in the operating room, and there was a military guard placed at the door. They said he was not to leave until the job was done. So uh, when he entered the room, he saw this uh, small um, entity covered with a drape sheet lying on the table and thought this was must have been a child that was in some sort of an accident. So he looked at the uh, x-rays of the bones and saw that uh, they were uh, close to an osteoporotic type uh, human bone. They had, in other words, they had holes in them, which we call the lacunae. And um, if that's not a pathological condition, then it's like uh, an archway. It, it adds a tremendous strength to the, uh, to the bony structure. So he, he knew that this entity was either sick or it was something strange about it. And then he went over to the table and looked at its face and realized that it, uh, it was not human. 
So, uh, and, and you've interviewed this you know, guy, right? For an anesthetic, you know, how do you know what to use for uh, for an entity that you have no idea what their physiology is? But anyway, he did use the local anesthetic, and uh, when he reset the fracture, he was thinking about what to stabilize it with because we use uh, pins and screws and plates and so on. And uh, the next thing you do is when you you uh, approximate the bone, you put one end of the bone next to the next to the other broken end, uh, then then you fixate it with one of these devices. When he went to take it apart, it wouldn't move. It had already started to heal. Oh. So he never saw uh, anything uh, like that before. So um, he, uh, no, he basically uh, watched as the repair started to occur. And uh, but he did close the wound with some uh, some sutures. And again, to shorten the story down, uh, the uh, the patient left the operating room in satisfactory condition with all vital signs present, uh, ambulatory and in the company of a military guard and was uh, taken immediately to another hospital um, uh, called uh, uh, Hospital Humanitas. The first one was the Hospital Regional. Okay, uh, Dr. Lear, I just want to make sure that I understood what you said earlier, and that is that you actually did interview this doctor himself. Yes, he was an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, he spoke very little English, so uh, I had to have uh, an interpreter there. But uh, here's the interesting thing. When we started talking medical language, uh, language was no barrier because, uh, you know, a lot of the terminology used in in medicine has its base root in Latin. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, I could understand, you know, pretty well what what he had to say. So I understood things that the interpreter did not uh, did not uh, understand uh, at all. So he described the blood and the bone and uh, various aspects of uh, the being, and I asked him if there was any communication, and he said. Uh, First he said no, and then later he changed his mind and told us that it downloaded information into his head via what he called uh, thought grams, just large amounts of information that uh, he said it was like a rubber hammer hitting him in the head with each one of these blocks of uh, knowledge and gave him a migraine headache which lasted for several weeks. All right, we have to take a break, and uh, we'll be back right after this break. And welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show, and my guest this evening, Dr. Roger Lear. Dr. Lear, when we went away for break, uh, you, you were telling us about uh, this uh, extraterrestrial and about the doctor whom you you interviewed, 
who did surgery on this extraterrestrial uh, at the command of the military there in Brazil. And then um, the uh, this extraterrestrial was taken then to another hospital. And what happened then? Well, uh, the the surrounding situation uh, was that uh, the back of both hospitals, uh, Humanitas uh, Hospital as well, uh, the street and uh, in, in back of the hospital uh, is residential, so that people can see what goes on through the on the back side of the hospital. Same way with Hospital Regional. Uh, the entity was seen leaving uh, through the back portion of the hospital and uh, placed uh, in a vehicle and then immediately taken uh, to this other uh, Humanitas, which was a bigger hospital. And uh, it stayed there for 24 hours. And the following day, uh, a set of three military uh, trucks uh, pulled up to the back of the hospital with... uh, the, the large uh, trucks with the canvas coverings in the back and uh, the canvas of course was uh, rolled up uh, three um, small childlike coffins were uh, put on the back of each one of the trucks and each one of them took off in a different direction um, later we learned that one of the coffins contained the entity that uh, was operated on and had left uh, the other hospital in satisfactory conditions. So nobody really knows uh, what he died of, but um, what he had told the doctor mentally from what I got out of him, he said, I can't tell you everything, but I can tell you something. He said he felt sorry for the human race. And when the doctor asked him why they felt sorry for the human race, and he says, well, for many reasons, but for one, uh, they, meaning his kind, could either singularly or join together and produce any healing of the body that needed to be done. It was not necessary to have a specialist or a specialized place to do this, such as a hospital. And that we, human beings, had the same capability, except we didn't know how to use it. And number two... He said that they felt sorry for human beings because we were totally detached from our spiritual self. So with that, with that in mind, you know what happened to him? Did, did he realize that you know ET wasn't going home and just uh, his spirit left his uh, body behind? Or did, did something happen to him in the hospital that uh, that resulted in his death? What's the attitude of the Brazilian we government? We, what we do know, <laughs> Kevin, is that the young military police officer, uh, whose name was Marco Eli Chareze, was dead within four weeks of his contact with the entity. Why? What did he die of? Well, we weren't we weren't able to learn for a long time because uh, the family was not allowed. That the burial was not given. An autopsy report <laughs> was kept away from medical information. But after almost a year and a year's worth of insistence by the Brazilian investigators, they did come up 
with the medical report and the autopsy report and when he died and I had a copy of it uh, what he did die for was something that was uh, very much like uh, Ebola uh, before the bleed out so it was some kind of a very very potent uh, virus that uh, killed the poor thing and uh, is it surmised that he got that by contact with this extraterrestrial or by some other means? Well, it looks it looks like uh, historically he probably got it from direct contact uh, with the extraterrestrial because later they found out that uh, certain other members of the military who came <laughs> unprotected in uh, direct contact with these beings also got sick. Uh, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, they didn't die. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. What's the attitude of the Brazilian government uh, in, uh, like, uh, when the investigators there are from anywhere try to find out how this entity, uh, how this being died? Uh, what what response do they get from the Brazilian government? You must be a bit psychic, uh, Kevin, <laughs> because uh, that was the that was the purpose for me bringing this uh, subject up. Now I, I went down there and did a thorough investigation and wrote a book called UFO Crash in Brazil, which is still available. But uh, I wanted to tell you what's happened since uh, all this has has gone on. Okay. Uh, so we can get to that now. Now, the Brazilian government has opened up, and twice they've released top-secret documents to the UFO researchers, A.J. Javard and some of the others, and uh, they published it. Uh, so uh, for some reason, uh, and I think I know the reason, the Brazilian government, the uh, Brazilian space agency, is uh, not too happy with the United States because there was an agreement which I had on my website for a long time signed by Daniel Golden who was the head of NASA and uh, the agreement essentially was that the United States if, if all extraterrestrial materials were sent directly to the United States the United States would share equally in the commercial aspect and development of all the things that uh, could probably be done with advanced technology. Well, what happened was the Brazilians got nothing, not even a report. Mm. So I think the release of this information was kind of a slap in the face of the U.S. Um, now, uh, lately, uh, within the last uh, eight to ten months, there's been some interesting things because uh, two groups from the U.S. have gone down there. One was from... Uh, from the Bigelow uh, organization uh, called Bass sent investigators to Brazil and they were given the boot thrown out then six CIA agents were booted out of Brazil and they were they went around looking for um, for information uh, regarding uh, extraterrestrial cases in Brazil and they were just uh, given the boot uh, another thing that happened, and this, this is what I was going to talk about, was there were two main original investigators on this case. Uh, one fellow was a labor attorney, and still is, and uh, he's a, uh, 
uh, he's a defendant's uh, attorney and he represents uh, large industries in Brazil. He does quite a well, a, a good job. And um, he was been a, a UFO researcher for many years. Well, he had filing cabinet after filing cabinet after filing cabinet with detailed information on the uh, Varginia case, interviews with military witnesses, interviews with uh, civilian witnesses, uh, the pictures, drawings, all, all kinds of stuff, very meticulously laid out as uh, any uh, good attorney would do. He suddenly turned around a few months ago and said that the whole case was a lie. It was a rumor. It was a joke. It was a hoax. Why? why? What, what's his motive in that? Um, I think he was uh, under duress and uh, perhaps uh, threatened because the last time I went down to visit the doctor and paid him a visit, uh, we waited all day to get into his office and finally he sat there with a, a pencil or, or a pen, not the pencil I believe, in his hand and he was twisting it and turning it and almost broke it and it was almost in tears and said everything that I told you last time was just rumor nothing was true uh, but at the same time he was telling again the, the interpreter that uh, I know the doctor is disappointed because he'd like to know more about the bone and the joints and the blood and the eyes and all the stuff about the, inter the extraterrestrial being but nothing happened. It okay, was, so just rumors, rumors, rumors. All right, so let me ask you this: let's, If let's, the let's get out of here before somebody gets this guy and kills his family. All right, so let me ask you this now: If the Brazilian government has been far more open and have released classified information to Brazilian UFO investigators, then one would not suspect that it was. Uh, the Brazilian government that's putting the pressure on these people. That's right. So who's doing it? Well, I would take a good guess. Okay. It's got to be some uh, entity of the U.S. Okay. Uh, now, the, 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 the icing on the cake was that the original investigator of the case was not uh, Ubujara Rodriguez, who was the attorney, but a fellow by the name of Vittorio Pacchini, because this happened on a weekend, and Ubujara Rodriguez was out of Virginia. He wasn't there. So the first investigator on the case was a well-known uh, UFO researcher in Brazil by the name of Vittorio Pacchini. About four months ago, five months ago, Vittorio Pacchini disappeared from the face of the earth. Nobody could contact him. His family didn't know where he was. Gone. Disappeared. Uh, people in Virginia were told to keep their mouths shut, not to talk about the case anymore. There was a rumor. Now that, my friend... <laughs> was a big mistake because the Brazilians were not like the people in the U.S. during the Roswell era. The Brazilian Silver War, Civil War was over in 1956, you know, and uh, as the years went by, they didn't exactly forget what the Civil War was like because the, the people of uh, Brazil were persecuted. 
So they, uh, instead of uh, being compliant, they became rebellious. Several mayors, there was two or three mayors that wanted to build a museum in Virginia to attract a tourist, and I had already started the building. Uh, were extremely disappointed and very vocal and said that uh, this was not a rumor, this was a true event. The word got around the town and the people started talking. Now they're talking again, more civilians and more military people. So what they've done is uh, they made a big, big mistake because now they've opened up a can of worms and there's probably going to be a horde of new information coming out about the Virginia case. Yes. Uh, well, you know, that proves the point, and you've heard me say this. The most powerful weapon people have, the, the one thing that uh, the powers that be are really terrified about is that the people will learn to say no. Yep. To, to their control. And okay. so that's what you're describing uh, there. The people were told, shut your mouth, it was all just a rumor, and the people said, no, it was not a rumor. In fact, uh, there is a statue of one of the beings there in Virginia. Yes, and, and, and for a long time you could go in many different shops and buy uh, wood carvings of the beings. Mm-hmm. Now, last time I was there, they were getting harder to find. And I think that was just because, uh, you know, the, the tourist thing had kind of died down. And, uh, they weren't selling. But uh, you watch. <laughs> All right. We have to step away for a break. And we will return right after this with Dr. Roger Lear. Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show, and uh, my guest this evening, Dr. Roger Lear. Uh, for those who are watching, let me say again, I realize that um, you know, at least on on my system monitor, it's showing off and on connection, and so I realize you may be having trouble watching. It is a radio show, and I invite you to listen. All right. Uh, back to our guest, Dr. Roger Lear. Uh, so, um, uh, Dr. Lear, uh, the investigator in Brazil who disappeared, uh, that's till today, still no word, nobody knows where he is? That is correct. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, is he presumed dead, or do they think he may still be alive? Uh, at the present time, I don't know if there's anything new with uh, the official investigation because uh, my information, uh, most of it comes from uh, certain Brazilian investigators, uh, one notably A.J. Gerard, and uh, I haven't heard from him because I, I think he's working on a project with the 
History Channel, so he's probably out in the Amazon somewhere. Okay. All right. Uh, now, uh, let me also say that whatever it is that's interfering with our signal is also interfering uh, with our audio. Uh, and uh, what's happening, uh, Dr. Lear, sometimes we hear you very clearly, and then sometimes you get pretty far away, and then I have to crank up your volume. But when I crank up your volume, it automatically cranks mine down. Oh, so well, I just... I, I, I got the phone pressed tightly against my ear, so yeah, I'm yeah, hearing I'm, you okay. Yeah, yeah, I know, uh, because earlier in the show, when we tried Skype, I could see, you know, on the um, on, on, on the video, I could see that, you know, you, you had the phone, like, right tight against your face, and so uh, whatever's happening is a technological thing that's happening out there. Um, but let me also say, this is not the first time when you've been with us that we had technology weirdness. Yeah. I can I go. I was going to mention that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can go night after night after night after night and have no problems at all. And then I can have you, and there's two, two or three others, that if I have you on, then we have that weirdness that takes over with the technology. And I'm sure, you know, we're receiving unrequested assistance yeah, uh, that, may, that may be yeah. I know I've been at conferences I've had uh, uh, the, the entire uh, uh, system sound system go down and uh, been on the radio and uh, had my battery fried in my cell phone yeah yeah well so, uh, strange strange stuff uh, there's you know there's so many things, so many entities out there that uh, don't want this uh, information public but you know I think we talked a little bit about this last time one big mistake these big mockers made was uh, allowing the internet to happen <laughs> yeah yeah I would say so um... because uh, I don't care what they do you know if if some young kid comes along and can hack into the military missile systems or go into NORAD as they've done before, you can imagine what the case well, They'd have to shut the entire Internet down. They'd have to cut from every single satellite, which would not allow operation of everything in our country. Yeah. So they can't do that. Yeah. Well, uh, they do uh, invest quite a bit of time and money in uh, targeted harassment, though. And uh, so we get some of that. All right. Um, so let's move from Virginia all the way across the world to Turkey. Okay. Um, you personally are one of the witnesses to one of the most dramatic UFO uh, video captures uh, ever and uh, we had a caller who asked this question not too long ago and as a matter of fact I think it was Ryan from Washington uh, Washington State and uh, the question was uh, were there any of the Turkish witnesses to this event that we could interview and I said well the problem of course would be language uh, unless they speak English or unless I had an interpreter. Um, do any of the uh, Turkish 
witnesses to this event and to the taping of this UFO. Uh, do any of them speak English? The, do any of them what? I didn't hear the last part. Speak English. Yes, uh, certainly uh, Hakan Agudan is uh, actually, I believe he was born in New York, uh, moved oh, to oh. Turkey. So he speaks uh, fluent English. Would it be possible for you to assist us in making contact with him to see if he would be willing to talk with us? Oh, absolutely. We could even do uh, a three-way. Yeah, if we can get your Skype going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll put that in in the uh, book for a future uh, show, and then uh, and and I think that'd be fascinating. Uh, as a matter as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. the way coincidence goes. I got my computer on, and right in front of me, here's a, an email <laughs> from Hakan. Outstanding. Well, you know, we, we'll keep his email address <laughs> private, but, uh, you know, we won't broadcast that. But, you know, if you can make some contact with him on our behalf and, and ask him, uh, I certainly would appreciate it. Now, you made some contact uh, on, on my behalf uh, with someone not too long ago. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, and that's World Peace One. But right. um, I want to stay with the Turkey uh, incident. Now, just for clarification, have you seen this UFO in Turkey on more than one event? Yes, two years in a row. And what years were they? I believe it was 2008-2009. Yeah, because there's some pretty, uh, uh, well, the, the video from 2008 and the video from 2009 really looks like the, the same identical craft. Yeah, it does. There have also been um, people who have taken the, the close-up shots of that craft and, you know, just take a, a still shot, uh, one frame, and uh, then they've been able to zoom in and enhance and clarify. And there's some pretty amazing images that have come from that. Now, we're going to be taking a break here in a couple of minutes. And we're going to get into those images um, after that break. But when that first came out, when that video was first released... Um, one of the things that, you know, you read comments and forums and even on YouTube, and, uh, of course, you have people who are saying, wow, that's fantastic, that's astounding. And then you got, almost immediately you have people saying, oh, it's hoaxed, you can tell it's hoaxed. How did you respond to that when they started saying it was hoaxed? Well, you know, it's the same thing I said before about printing scientific material. Yeah, people will look at things that don't have the capability of, uh, uh, you know, doing a correct analysis. They they just don't have it. I mean, they're not, they have no training in it. They don't know about the power of lenses. They don't consider that the atmosphere is a fluid media, uh, that there is reflection and refraction, reflection, uh, all sorts of optical phenomena occur. 
<laughs> and uh, if it's on a film, they don't understand the uh, chemistry of film. If it's on video, they wouldn't know whether it's uh, 29.97 frames per second or 30 frames per second. Yeah. But when it goes to uh, University of uh, Istanbul, uh, they have those experts there. So just like I do, I, I'm not a scientist. I never, never claim to be. But when I, when I get results from uh, a qualified laboratory, I've got to listen to what the, the laboratory specialists are telling me. I mean, you know, most uh, laboratories, are, especially metallurgists and biologists, are full of uh, PhDs in a specialized field. So now the, one, of the, one of the investigations that was done on this footage was done in Chile. And it was a Chilean videographer, and uh, I published that uh, on my website, but I, I went to look for it the other day because I recommended it to somebody, uh, come to find out that uh, it's been taken down. So I wrote uh, Haktan, and uh, he's going to probably be... Uh, sending me another one but I did find two DVDs that I had except one <laughs> alright we have to step away for a break but we're going to pick up right there when we come back alright folks we will return right after this Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show. My guest this evening is Dr. Roger Lear. For those of you who are joining us just now in this second hour, welcome aboard. We're delighted that you're here. And uh, my sincere sympathy to you for whatever it is that kept you away from that first hour. But we're glad you're here now. And uh, we're talking with Dr. Roger Lear about some deep stuff. We've talked about, uh, gotten an update on the amazing um, UFO crash and extraterrestrial contact that took place back in the late 90s in Virginia, Brazil. And now we're talking about Turkey. Uh, he's an eyewitness to uh, the amazing UFO incident and the videotaping of that UFO in Turkey. And uh, as we went to break, I had just asked about, you know, how... He handled uh, when comments started appearing, saying, "Oh, it's all a fake. Uh, it's a hoax." And uh, so uh, he's been explaining to us how he did that. But let me ask you this now: um, You mentioned that something about the university in Istanbul. Did they do an analysis of this video? Oh yes, they did an analysis that made the front page of uh, every uh, major newspaper in Turkey. And what what was their uh, how, how did how did they come down on this? What what was their assessment of it? Their conclusion was that this footage was uh, not photoshopped, that the object was uh, real, uh, that uh, what you're seeing is actually what was there. 
<laughs> and uh, was absolutely genuine footage of a UFO with uh, non-terrestrial entities inside. With non-terrestrial entities inside, I think that's important. Now, the, the uh, university in Istanbul uh, actually said that in their analysis of it? Yes, and then the Chilean vide videographer who did the analysis in Chile, he went one step further. He used uh, a lot of triangular mathematics uh, and uh, photographic techniques to blow up the images. And uh, when he was done, you could actually see what the entities were doing while we were filming, filming them. And probably a good close-up shot of uh, two uh, typical greys, but they weren't the only ones that were on board. There were other entities that were there, too. All right. Well, what did the other entities look like? Uh, excuse me? What did the other entities look like? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's been so long since I looked at the footage. I, I don't, to be very honest, I don't remember. Uh, all The only thing I can recall is that they were something that uh, people have seen before. Well, uh, for those who are watching uh, the show, and uh, folks, you could be watching if you're a member. Uh, if you're watching the show, uh, you have on your screen right now uh, some uh, frame captures that have been zoomed in on and enhanced. Uh, I did not do this zooming or enhancing. Uh, my software would not resolve this as clearly as what we have here. Uh, so this was clearly done by somebody with more uh, expertise and better software. But um, if, if you will, what you can see, um, well, let me back up. And actually I'm going back all the way back to the shot of the craft and we can see uh, there's a notch sort of in uh, the side of the craft that's facing us and it appears there are two orb like things up there and you enough that you, you start wondering right there in that notch uh, what's that well then when you zoom in on that it makes you wonder even more uh, what's that well then when you get the clarified, uh, more in focus, less fuzzy picture uh, that I was talking about, you can see it's uh, two entities that look like typical grays, like what we have all been told they look like. But I noticed something, Doctor, in this photograph. I noticed something I had never noticed before. I've seen this photograph before. In fact, you and I have talked about it. But I noticed something I had never seen before. When you look at the lower left-hand picture that I've got up here, there's uh, one, two, three pictures across the top uh, and two pictures at the bottom. And um, look at the lower left-hand one because that's the one that's zoomed in the most. Now, I'm going to even zoom in closer and you can see, it looks like to me that we can see the backs of their chairs. They're seated out on the front edge of their chairs as if peering over the side. And we can see the back of their chairs and I can see the arm of 
the chair? Well, you know what? I think you're correct. <laughs> Have you seen that before? Uh, yeah, I've seen it before, and uh, I think that was described by the Chilean videographer also. But he went on in great detail. Now, let me give you the background of uh, what we're looking at here. Okay. First of all, if you stood on the beach and you looked out over the ocean, you saw a nice, big, bright moon. And then just below the moon was a dot, a shiny dot. Okay. So uh, when we pushed on the moon, the, the dot also got bigger and bigger and bigger until it, it didn't look like a star or a planet anymore. Now, this was about, um, oh gosh, I think it was over 15 miles from, from the shore. But we had a camera that was at a 300-millimeter lens and a, uh, an electronic doubler, so we got uh, close to what's a 600-millimeter lens. So when you, when you push down this, the craft itself is being uh, illuminated by the moon. But, uh, see, the extraordinary part is that what you're seeing inside is coming from light inside the craft. Okay. So that's what makes these things visible uh, and in great detail. Well, it's absolutely amazing. Just amazing. And um, so here we have the university in Istanbul who has analyzed the video. They said this is absolutely genuine. There's There's been no tampering, no hoaxing. Whatever that is out there, it was out there, and this camera shot that, right? That's correct. All right, there so we... There was more than, you know, two, we had three or four people there. We stayed up from midnight till about... Uh, uh, maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you know, the still shot that I'm looking at shows that this was taken on May 27th, 2008 at 2.31 a.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the shot I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, but when they came back in 2009, uh, it looks like the same craft. But uh, in that one, do you also see extraterrestrial entities in 2009? We saw saw the same thing, but uh, they weren't as clear. However, we got the ship um, turned uh, uh, 2009 vintage. The the ship turned at various angles, so if you look at it really closely, you can see it's not a saucer. It's more of a a boomerang-shaped affair what it would appear. Actually, yeah. Even in this one, <clears throat> pardon me, even in this one from 2008, it appears that this notch is at what would be the front point of the boomerang. Right. And uh, it has a, a boomerang appearance to it. Um, right. That's also very similar to the drawings that... Um, Mr. Arnold, Arnold yeah, McDonald made of the Roswell craft, right? Well, no, and and uh, Arnold, uh, Mr. Arnold, uh, the pilot that saw several, uh, yeah, few, Arnold. few Kenneth Arnold a few days earlier, um, he did drawings of what he saw, and it was like this. 
Very similar. Yeah, I just I just had uh, listened to a fellow who has been in the military for a number of years, and uh, he was telling me something that uh, I just couldn't buy. He said, uh, from the position where Kenneth Arnold was in Washington, and the distance that Kenneth Arnold said those craft were away, you know, skipping over mountains like saucers on water, is what he said that uh, it would be impossible at uh, 30 miles away uh, from a target to identify it. Well, I, I don't buy that. Plus the fact we, we don't know whether Kenneth Arnold had a pair of binoculars aboard. So that's the kind of stuff that, that you get. And this guy is, truly believes what he's saying is absolutely true. Well, there is also this... Um if the craft were sizable enough, then you could see them 30 miles away. Sure. And, uh, you know, if you're in the air and there's a 747 flying along and you're looking at it broadside, uh, you know, uh, if if the air is really, really clear and you're at an, uh, an altitude, you know, to be above the clouds or, the, you know, there's no clouds... Uh, no small clear air. Uh, you can see thirty miles. Of course you can. Now, um, you know the horizon is out there, but uh, that horizon, uh, the distance to the horizon increases. Uh, the apparent distance increases as you gain altitude. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. It's not only the distance, but the horizon itself enlarges. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that that's why the space shuttle can see two horizons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In front and behind. Yeah, sure. they can see the whole thing. Um, all right, so uh, back to this, this UFO incident. After the university in Istanbul said, yep, this is for real, um, what was the reaction... In Turkey, well, in, the, the the reaction of the people in Turkey is uh, totally different than what it is here. For example, uh, a conference in Turkey draws uh, two, three thousand people. We, we, there's nowhere in the United States where there was ever a conference that drew two, three thousand people to a UFO conference. Mm-hmm. And you say the mean average age of uh, of these uh, conferences, uh, they they draw individuals that are in their 30s, 40s, you know, 20s. You see a lot of uh, older folk at uh, conferences, for example, in the United States. But at the conference, when we at the convention center where the where the conference was being held, you have to remember that we had uh, fleets of UFOs flying over the conference center every day. That's cool. They had uh, all the major uh, news trucks from the television stations out there filming them. So, uh, as I tell people, by the time I left left Turkey, I got so tired of looking at UFOs that uh, might as well go, you know, to the airport and watch the planes take off. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was UFO overload, was it? Yeah, it was UFO overload, and there was a fellow there that 
was responsible for the Comburgus footage by the name of Yeltsin. And he's just, he's one of these people who uh, can sit inside and all of a sudden get up, run out of the, run out the door, point to the sky, and grab his camera, and there they are. So he can tell, he can sense when they're there, huh? Yeah. Is he an abductee? You know, he never admitted to being an abductee, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering that myself. Maybe he's got an implant that's a receiver. It's possible, but I've known others that, you know, are probably not abductees that they get this this pit feeling in their gut when there's something around and they'll oh. look up and there's something there. I mean, I've been with people who uh, uh, say, oh, my God, look at that, you know, and I'll look up. I don't see a damn thing. And they say, well, you know, there's a there's a craft uh, overhead. I'm not seeing it at all. Uh-huh. Well, you know... You know, that's part of the human condition. I mean, I just had my eye done, so uh, the ophthalmologist was telling me that at about uh, five or six years of age, about 96% of the ambient light in the world is entering your eye. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time you reach 50, you're getting about 26%. So I'm pretty close to blind then. Well, you don't think you're blind, but you get just so used to seeing what you're seeing, uh -huh. and no two people see the same thing. All right, now, along those lines, and you were talking about somebody points to the sky and says, there it is right there, and you say, I don't see a thing. I had a guest here um, from uh, the U.K., and he's a UFO investigator over there. And um, he had some amazing video of a UFO shooting a laser down onto this lady's yard. And this was taken with um, an infrared setting on the camera. Mm -hmm. He couldn't see it. But he was holding the camera. And she was saying, point it right there. There it is. Don't you see it? And she pointed right to it. So he pointed the camera there. And sure enough, it's on his camera, but he couldn't see it with his eyes. Right. But she could. Well, it's like, you know, cats. Cats have a uh, very unusual vision and senses. I, I think, uh, you know, a cat uh, can see uh, ranges of infrared and ultraviolet that the human eye doesn't see. Mm -hmm. uh, so some animals will, uh, for example, I know in ghost cases, They'll 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 look and they'll follow a ghost right as it walks across the room. You don't see anything. Mm -hmm. So animals sometimes have uh, you know acute detection devices that are uh, beyond the human capacity. Well, do you think it's possible that certain people like this lady uh, do have the capacity to see a little bit into the infrared or ultraviolet? Yeah, I do. Well, it was it was an amazing story. I tested them, but uh, I bet if they did, that's that's what they find. Well, it was as I say, it was an amazing story, and we showed the video here on on our uh, TV channel uh, during the show. Um, and and you know, he was talking about you know, with his eyes, he's never seen anything out there, and yet on video, he has. 
And he, as I said, he was holding the camera, doing the videoing, and pointing it where she said to point, and there it was. Right. You know? Um, all right, so I want to go back to Turkey for a moment. We were talking about the difference. I love Turkey, by the way. Do you? I've never been there, but I've worked with people from there. And uh, one of my very, very, very close friends when I was working overseas, uh, I mean, we became, honest to God, like brothers. Uh, and he's from uh, Turkey. And uh, he was he was a, um, well, I won't say what he was, but he, he, he was from Turkey. Um, and I was trying to... Um, remember the name of the city he's from it's not uh, Istanbul and it's not Ankara but it's seems like it starts with an I but I can't remember the name of it anyway uh, let's go back to Turkey okay so we know there's a difference in the way the people respond like to conferences and so forth but how did the news media respond to this UFO that you witnessed in 2008, 2009, did they report it there? Oh, yeah, they reported it. Everything was wide open. Newspapers, television channels, uh, people all over Turkey watched. Uh, I've seen that video. You so, won't find anybody that you know watches news. I mean, it's on the major news, like here. You know, you hear about... Uh, you know, robberies and, and uh, Los Angeles and car chases. It's just the same thing over there like with UFOs. So they just report it as though it's any other kind of news. Yeah. They, they've had some close calls over there with airliners and uh, <laughs> approaching, uh, you know, major airports. And they don't appear on, these things don't appear on radar. And all of a sudden they're there. Uh, some near collisions have occurred. Uh, you know, the whole gamut of stuff. Is there a city in Turkey by the name of Izmit? I think so. I think that's where he's from. Yeah, I believe I that's right. That yeah, his name was Yaltsin. But we were like brothers. Okay, so the people there all over Turkey, they're, they're open and accepting. What, do you have a, a, a whole core of skeptics over there that are, you know, just hell-bent for leather to uh, discredit and debunk anything UFO? Oh, yeah, they're all over. I mean, I've even seen them in France and the U.K. is full of them and so on. But uh, there are people who have... Uh, Access to the internet and some limited amount of knowledge, and uh, they've already got their mind made up that uh, you see a UFO, it's made by the devil, and it's demonic, and uh, maybe you better not look at it. <laughs> so the uh, the devil will go away if you just don't look at him, huh? Yeah, I guess so. You know, uh -huh. you don't don't recognize the devil, and he won't recognize you. Yeah, I'd rather watch uh, him so I can see if he's getting around behind me. Yeah, there was there was an incident that occurred uh, many years ago in Brazil, in which uh, an abductee um, who was Catholic uh, was told that uh, there was going to be uh, angels from heaven that would be coming down uh, in the midst of this uh, jungle uh, population and convinced the local. Uh, priest there that uh, this, you know, he was correct and so on so they 
never forget the story. The, uh, the whole whole town uh, got up and started heading in that direction to get there at the right time. Some with the ox cart, some walk, some on horse, some on vehicles. The uh, some of the major media picked it up, so they came in trucks, news trucks, and so on. And uh, at an appointed uh, time, uh, they waited and waited and waited, and they didn't see anything happen. And suddenly, somebody looked between two trees, and they said, "There, there, look! These, you know, they, they, these are the tears of angels. They're coming down." And it was uh, eleven saucer-shaped craft. And they were there doing the rosary beads, and uh, you know these these are the tears of the angel of uh, of, uh, of Mary. Mm-hmm. All right, so the ground, and they prayed, and uh, they did their thing, and the news people uh, filmed it all, and, uh, <laughs> you know. and 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 did they film the eleven UFOs as well? Yeah, they filmed the 11 UFOs as well. Mm-hmm. These are the tears of the Virgin Mary. Well, people, you know, they, people apply layers of interpretation uh, to things. I, I guess it makes them feel more comfortable with it, uh, but it happens all the time. But see, this happens also in the realm of UFOs. Uh, I mean, within the so-called UFO community. In that uh, you have people who apply a layer of all-knowing, all-seeing, benevolent beings uh, to UFOs. And then you have people that apply a layer of, um, well, now wait a minute, they, these guys could turn us to toast, so they're hostile. So people in the UFO community do that kind of thing, too. And we have to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show and uh, the techno weirdness uh, continued through the break. Uh, my my monitor, my system monitor, that shows me how is everything running. I can I can look at that and I can tell you know are we are we uh, sending out all of our streams to our radio uh, stations to our radio affiliates and our internet feeds are we doing that I can see that I can see whether we're sending out uh, we have a good strong connection and signal uh, on the TV channel I can see whether we're recording and I can see whether we're capturing video I can see all that on the system monitors and every once in a while. This uh, system monitor on the TV channel starts blinking, which tells me we have a very tenuous connection, and it may actually, in some places, in some cases, some people may just actually see us as offline, and then, you know, it'll come back on, and then, you know, it goes off. Uh, Very weird stuff, and uh, there are certain guests that every time, almost, that I have them on, we have some kind of technical weirdness, 
And uh, we have such a guest with us tonight, uh, Dr. Roger Lear. And uh, not that, uh, Dr. Lear, not that you cause the weirdness, but you may be the cause uh, behind it. And, uh, you know, we may be getting assistance out there from people that don't want this stuff broadcast. Um, but I was talking well, about these... If you get the word around, you see, uh, uh, you know, people won't be calling me anymore because they'll say, you know, I don't want Lear on the show because every time he goes on, <laughs> you know, my signal goes and my phone goes. You know what? Uh, I, I don't... I don't mind that. I mean, it's a little frustrating. But uh, the people that are behind doing that, if there are people doing this, I mean, sometimes there are, sometimes there's just some technical problem out there, you know, between us and, and where the signal's going. But uh, if there's people behind this, they're morons because every time that happens, the audience is just like putting a yellow highlighter over whatever the guest is saying. And because the audience goes, man, this must be important stuff. And so they really remember what the guest has to say, the parts that they get to hear, and uh, and and the ratings for the show go up. And so, you know, if there's people that are behind doing this, I want to thank them for being morons and for doing it because uh, you are assisting the show in growing, and I appreciate that. Um, That's one way of looking at it. Well, I didn't used to look at it that way because I didn't realize that was happening. You know, when all this first started, uh, I didn't realize the effect that it would have. But once I realized the effect that it has when they mess with the show, I became very appreciative of it. And well, uh, that brings me back to the time of Liberace when he was asked, don't you mind what people say about you? And he says, not at all. He says, as long as they mention my name and I keep going to the bank. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right. All right, so we were talking about these layers of interpretation. You know, another layer of interpretation that gets put on is um, in the UFO community, on one extreme is this layer, that all the UFOs are extraterrestrial. Another layer that gets put on is, well, most of that stuff out there is really secret U.S. military stuff. And I've pointed out there's no possibility that that statement can even even approach being accurate because if it is really U.S. military secret stuff, if most of it is, the person who's telling you that most of it is has to have a clearance higher than the president. In, in order to have that knowledge. Right. And if they have that clearance, they ain't going to tell you. Of course not. Therefore, that statement on its face is ludicrous. Just sure. ludicrous. But those are layers of interpretation that people put on it. And when they put these layers of interpretation on it, then they believe it. And it becomes yeah, like a religion. You know, you've got all the aspects of the spectrum because you got the, you know, people say, oh, they're all extraterrestrial. No, they're not extraterrestrial. They're interdimensional. And no, they're not interdimensional. They're extraterrestrial, but they travel interdimensionally. Uh, and, and, you know, and then, as I said, you have the religious aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, oh they're, they're demonic. They're coming from the devil and uh, 
they're going to bring in times uh, you know on the 21st of December because that's what it says in the Mayan calendar and uh, oh, by the way did you die that day I don't know but <laughs> if I did I think I came back yeah yeah well uh, and and you know in order to be free really free People have to think free, you know, and, and the hardest thing to get free from is your own personal uh, chosen belief system. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to disbelieve it, but it's hard to get free from that to just think. And um, Oh, how true, how true, how true, how true. Yeah. How I've had to learn that lesson. You know, when I started doing this, and I thought, you know, if I do this, you know, and I submit it to this kind of laboratory, I'm going to get some results, and I'll have some answers. And I got the results, and I had 20 more questions. Yeah. And then you do it over and over and over and over again, and all you wind up with more questions. And that's why I tell people constantly in a public venue, if any so-called UFO research, I don't give a hoot whether it's me or or any anybody else, says they got all the answers, put a finger in each ear and run as fast as you can. Absolutely, uh, you know, um, and it it comes down to people, uh, not just the general public, but as you said, even UFO researchers. It comes down to uh, uh, people not feeling comfortable by saying, I don't know. And we ought to feel comfortable to say it when that's the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. When you don't know, you don't know. And But see, the problem is when you pretend you know and you fill in that blank with a belief instead of a knowledge, it becomes a religion, you become defensive about it, and you quit looking for the answer because you found it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, you've mm-hmm. just closed your open mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a real battle because you know it's it's uh, I guess human nature uh, to to want to have things resolved, and we want to have them resolved so badly. We want so badly to have them resolved that um, we become willing to allow a whim to become a belief. And then that becomes a fact to us when, in fact, it's not. Um, I want to tell you, I just uh, uh, several weeks ago had the honor and privilege of being uh, interviewed by uh, some scientists at uh, a very large, I can't mention the name, uh, electronic corporation who does uh, quite a bit of work for the government. Uh Uh-huh. Now, it's more like a university campus than it is an industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the people will bring projects in there. And uh, if they like the data and uh, they want to put them to work, they'll put them to work for six months and have them develop the data. And uh, if so the data looks promising, at the end of the six months, they're there for another six months or maybe a year, two years, or three years. Until the process is developed, and then it goes out uh, usually to commercial enterprise because, uh, contrary to popular thought, uh, black budget stuff doesn't really make much money for industry. Um, so their, their main stream is the commercial products. But they were telling me, uh, Kevin, uh, don't bring us a project that's 10 years in the future. 
don't bring us the project that's a hundred years in the future. But if you got something that may be a thousand years for the future, we'll talk to you. Wow. So, so they've got uh, scientists working on stuff that would be a thousand years into the future. Yeah, they were explaining for uh, to me, uh, you know, things that were a bit over my head about uh, uh, the uh, obsolescence of our television communication system. They said it was not only obsolete, but it was antiqu- antiquated. Uh-huh. And uh, they were talking about the study of a butterfly wing and how a butterfly flapping its wing is able to broadcast an aura of colors uh, using a microvoltage. And uh, mm. they duplicated this by very specialized pigmented uh, mirrors. And uh, from you know satellite communication, which uses uh, multivolt, and you still can't stream two or three hours of information instantaneously. You still got to wait. Yeah. So uh, you know it's, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. This thing takes a nanovolt, and you can broadcast full full stream three, four, five, six hours of information. Uh, you know, with the, the amount of energy that it takes to split your finger. Wow. So that's, wow. that's the kind of stuff that, uh, just, you know, the, the, tech, the technology, you're going out and buying all these flat screen TVs, you might as well throw them in the trash. Well, yeah, except that's what we get allowed to have access to. That's the problem. Yeah, that's right. So there's technology out there in the commercial sector, not in black budgets, but in the commercial sector that's a thousand years into the future, and we don't have access. Right. And they they have, I was surprised to learn this, but they have a whole marketing, excuse me, a whole marketing division, which goes out to various countries and sees which, what's the best application for the product and how much money they can predict is going to be made by usage of the product. If they determine that there's something out there that uh, would be extremely beneficial to the world, but they can't make money at it, are they going to do what J.P. Morgan did and say, nah, I can't put a meter on free electricity, so I'm not going to support you anymore. That's it. Greed, greed and more mm-hmm. greed and greed. But what eventually happens is the greedy eat the greedy eat the greedy and pretty soon there's going to be nothing left yeah yeah you're going to eat each other i remember the days of the supermarkets when there was a and p and piggly wiggly and this one and that one and uh you know now look what's left not very many nope not very many greedy and they ate each other Mm-hmm. And now you look what Time Warner owns, and you look what Universal owns, and <laughs> it's a joke. Well, um, sick, sick joke played played on a public that, unfortunately, our listeners out there, I think, uh, if they are listening, are at least starting to become awake. Otherwise, they be, wouldn't wouldn't be listening to the Kevin Smith show. Well, I think that's true. Uh, uh, but I'm, I was just kind of cogitating about all of this. Uh, so, you know, while I'm using what I think uh, to be, you know, the uh, most up-to-date, uh, advanced way to get these shows out, 
and it is because we broadcast um, AM, FM, Internet radio, all mobile devices, Internet TV, any way there is to broadcast, we're broadcasting it. Okay, so I think, okay, well, that's, you know, we're up to date, right? Mm. And, uh, but the fact is, my most up-to-date stuff is antiquated. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now, that's disappointing. Yeah, it, 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 it sure is. Uh, you know, uh, black budget technology, I'm sure, is, is way out there. I think that's why there are uh, probably uh, dual organizations. You know, I think that there's the, the everyday Air Force that's... <laughs> That does what they're told, and they're for the defense of the United States, and they're guys that are flying planes. We have to step away for break. We're going to pick up right there when we come back, and I want to talk about World Peace One as well. All right, folks, we shall return right after this break. Welcome back to the Kevin Smith Show and my guest, Dr. Roger Lear. Uh, we're on final approach. Dr. Lear, I want you to go ahead and wrap up what you were saying about people, uh, you know, this dual program, dual agency thing. Uh, and then I want to get to World Peace One. We just have a few minutes left, so I wanted to kind of, you know, pre-warn you about that. Uh, but uh, go ahead with what you were saying. Um. What was I saying? Well, you said we have the regular Air Force, and then we have people flying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a du- duality situation going on, obviously, because uh, the everyday Air Force, and like I said, the guy that's flying the jets, flying the planes, he, they don't know what what's really going on because they see the same thing that the commercial airline pilots do, and... They can't get any answers from the superiors, and the superiors can't get any answers from their superiors. So yeah. there's definitely two two air forces. Well, the air force that uh, is not in the know wants to know. So those are the ones that are spending a little bit uh, more money today to try and find out uh, more about this uh, information. And, you know, as to whether there's two. You know, section to the Navy or to the other armed services. I don't know, but I know the Air Force. Uh, there's you know two separate components. All right. Now, uh, this is not strictly in our genre, but uh, certainly something I think that would be of interest to our audience. You've become involved uh, with an organization, and a really kind of a movement. It's called World Peace One. What is that? Oh boy, that's a big subject. Well, as we know, uh, and you don't have to be a genius to know this, that since the beginning of mankind we've been fighting with each other. And uh, it's gotten so that uh, wars uh, many, many years ago were very, very profitable. You know, when you go up into the 1940s and you took, uh, you know, World War II, World War II is what uh, got us out of the recession. <laughs> it wasn't uh, just that uh, Roosevelt got us into the war, but uh, some 
entities, which I don't necessarily want to get into, supplied the other side with uh, weapons and steel and so on so that they could continue the war, but wars are fought for profit. So wars have been uh, going on for uh, you know uh, many, many, many years. Well, finally an effort is being made by a group, and it's the same group that's done uh, the Alive Aid Cancer uh, Concerts, Live Aid, World Aid, a fellow by the name of Doug Ivanovich and Lawrence Freiberg are putting together a similar event, which is going to occur in Portugal in July of this year. All the major bands, Pink Floyd and many of the others that we know, uh, Lady Gaga, you know, some of the new stars, uh, all of them are coming together for this uh, huge event. They expect uh, an on-board venue, on-site, of about 10 million people. Wow. They expect to uh, reach uh, really billions of people uh, worldwide. And the money is going to, that is generated is going to be used to <laughs> begin to create world peace in, in a very interesting way. This has never been done before, and uh, it's got a really good chance to work. <laughs> they feel that if they can divide the greediest of greedy, those that pull the strings, into, into the possibility that they can make more money out of peace than they can out of war, uh-huh. that when they accomplish this, the other two groups will fall in line and they will finally bring peace to mankind. So they, they intend to support, for example, farm aid using the latest techniques and science in, in farming, and that's not GMO farming. That's... Uh, real uh, live scientific agriculture which now they believe they could feed with real agriculture not not Monsanto's uh, GMO products with real good scientific agriculture today they can feed three times the amount of uh, people that live on this planet without having one starving individual that would be good so everybody's getting involved, the movement's picking up, uh, the stars are coming together, the investors are coming together, and uh, it looks uh, like it's going to become a reality. Well, if Mr. Ivanovich is listening, Dobrovechi, ya volim mir. So now he knows what I just said. Um... I think it's a great thing. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little puzzled as to how all the pieces fit, and you know, but the, the whole idea of just changing the way we think will change the way we behave. Um, and uh, you know, if we if we make an inch of progress towards world peace, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, that's an excellent thing. But uh, they, got a, they got a good start, and they got some tremendous names behind them, like Klaus Novell. Uh-huh. You know, we we really should get uh, Doug Ivanovich uh, on the show, and uh, he's so articulate. 
that well, uh, he could explain this, uh, you know, in in detail, and it's absolutely fascinating, uh, you know, the way it's it's coming together. Well, you make the connections uh, for me, the introductions. You know, you introduced me to Mr. Freiberg, Correct. and uh, we have since become good friends. And uh, he's an amazing individual, and we've become friends. I, I haven't met him except via Skype. We've seen a, each other that way. Uh, but uh, we've become good friends uh, via Skype. And he's told me some of the amazing people and the things that are being done and uh, who's getting involved. Um, and it all sounds very exciting, but the thing that's the, the most interesting to me about this is the, what you just told us, the concept of showing the the real, true upper elites uh, how they can make more money out of peace than they can make out of war. Right. You so do you, you think they can be converted? The greed to destroy the greed. Mm-hmm. Do you think they can be won over and, and be converted to this notion? They claim that they've talked to enough, enough people who are in the know and actually are uh, profiteering, uh, even individuals, high-ranking individuals in the military that would rather not be in the military uh, making war, but they would rather participate in a, you know, an organized peaceful farming program and, and use the ability of, uh, of trained soldiers, so to speak, to for uh, agriculture. Very interesting. Well, we do have to talk about that. And uh, so you make that connection, and uh, I certainly am open to the to the idea because it's it's a very exciting new concept and new approach. I think everybody is tired, really, really tired, of war and of sending our sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives off to die. And uh, I think. Uh, I think this is a pretty exciting thing. So if you make the connection, uh, I'll make the time available on the show. Uh, we are, speaking of time, out of time. And, uh, Dr. Lear, I want to thank you for being with us this evening. It's uh, I know you're a trooper for doing this after surgery yesterday and today, but thanks. I appreciate it. Well, uh, you know, uh, it kind of gets my mind off the problem. <laughs> I understand. If you will, stay on the phone with me for a moment as I bring this in for a landing. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Roger Lear. And, man, did you get a bucket full of information tonight. And uh, we'll have him back at a future date when uh, both he and the system are up to uh, being able to take calls. My friends call me Steeleye, my enemies do too, and you can call me whatever you'd like to call me. Just keep coming back again and again and again. Until next time, so long everybody.